Patty, doing a great job in the office. She has a difficult task. She's been assigned to work with our media department. And if you know our media department, you know why she has a difficult task. Before I open up God's word, just a quick thought that came to my heart while Melissa was speaking. Think about it, how God brought her here to this church as a young teenager where she discovered who Jesus is and surrendered her heart to the Lord. But and then she began to just grow spiritually and ultimately wanted to stay on helping other teenagers, younger teenagers. So she became part of the leadership team. And through the course of time, God began to reveal to her his purpose and plan for her life uh, to do missions. Uh, and that encouraged me so much how we never know what God's doing in the life of young people. Yeah. We just, we really need to be patient with them and encourage them because they're going to make mistakes. And even as they grow, they make mistakes. I mean, look at Melissa. She's hoping that, uh, she, she needs, by the way, about 4000 in cash to raise up, and she needs to raise monthly support in order for her to go on the mission field. Uh, that's one of the purposes why she was up here today to let you introduce to you to her and her the ministry she's going to be a part of. And we're hoping that at the end of this service, as we take a, a love offering, that you'll be generous so that we can help her raise the cash on hand. And then you visit her at the table and see what you can do monthly to help support her. Uh, every dollar counts. Now, having said that and knowing that she needs that, do you think it was wise of her to make fun of her pastor? <laughs> See, you can be a missionary and be all spiritual, and then all of a sudden you come up here and hey, make it fun of your pastor. Especially you want him to take an offering for you? Not wise. Not wise. I think it's time for God's word. If you have your Bible, I want you to look in the book of Psalms with me, uh, specifically the 125th Psalm. That's where my thoughts come. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be reading the first four verses. Verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. O Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with you. Gracious Father, I come before you this morning. This is the moment where I stand before the people as your servant, God, to communicate the thoughts you put in my heart, the thoughts that you want all of us to hear. So help me now to do that, Lord. Empower me by the, with your Holy Spirit and help me to say only what you want me to say, to do only what you want me to do, and help us all to hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name. And everyone say it with me. If you have in your Bible, some of you, depending on your translation, Right at the top where it says Psalm 125, you may find that it says that this is a psalm of ascents or degrees. 
And what that means is that this is a psalm that was written for pilgrims who were journeying up to Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, that word pilgrim is going to be an important word for us today. Because, so by definition, a pilgrim is someone who travels to a holy place. That's one of the definitions of a pilgrim that we're going to use today. And so uh, this is written for those who were traveling to the temple, to Jerusalem, the holy city of God. That's what this psalm is all about. And I thought it was important, it'd be important to remind us all today that Christianity is about being on a pilgrimage. It's about you and I understanding that we're on this spiritual journey to get to know God better so that in turn we might become more like him. So that's, that's what the spiritual journey is about. That's what Christianity is all about. It's uh, a pilgrimage, to use our word. Now, on this pilgrim, pilgrimage, it's important that we are reminded of something. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners, a word we really don't use a lot in our vocabulary today, and pilgrims uh, abstain from Freshly lost, which war against your soul. This is in the New King James Bible. So I'm going to read it now in a more modern translation, the NLT. Listen, it says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So the Apostle Peter now is writing is calling us pilgrims uh, that we are temporary residents in this life because our life is now in Christ in heaven. So we are on this spiritual journey and as pilgrims, temporary residents, foreigners, if you will, it's important that we understand and we're reminded this morning that part of this spiritual journey is also warfare. In other words, part of this spiritual journey, there are things that take place that the Bible says war against our very souls or our, 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 our against our souls to the measure that it can destroy our spiritual journey. So we need to understand that we are ever engaged in this spiritual warfare as we are on our pilgrimage, getting to know God more and becoming more like him. Now, the reason why this, there's this warfare, because we have an adversary called the devil whose goal it is to, do, is to derail our spiritual journey. In other words, to keep you and I from knowing God more so that we can become more like him. His goal is I've got to do whatever I have to do to derail that spiritual journey, to keep them from knowing God better and becoming more like him. Now, notice that to do this, Peter uses the phrase, he said, uh, there are fleshly lusts, or the more modern translation, worldly desires. Now, what does that mean? Worldly desires simply means this, that our adversary uses the pleasures of this physical life to distract us, to derail us from our pilgrimage. Okay. 
And so all of these things we need to recognize because his goal is to get you and I to settle down and enjoy life. Now listen to what I'm talking about. Settling down simply means this. When the focus or the priority of our lives becomes the physical enjoyment of this life rather than the spiritual growth of knowing God better and becoming more like him, we've now settled down. And it's such a temptation. That's what the devil uses. We are surrounded by all of these uh, uh, callings, if you will, these voices that are looking to us to talking to us about enjoying pleasure. Don't be in such a rush. Uh, enjoy, Settle down. Enjoy this. Enjoy that. It's why, by the way, we have so many people during the summertime that literally take off from church. They're, they're out enjoying. Now listen, is God against, in, against enjoyment? Absolutely not. I want to make sure you understand that Pastor Carlos is not against enjoyment. After all, remember, last week Pastor Carlos was dancing. Let me get that out of the way. So, we're not against enjoyment. God's not against enjoyment. But there has to be that priority in our life, that understanding, I'm on a spiritual journey. I can't lose focus. And all around me, there are distractions that are designed to, to, to get me distracted from what my true purpose in life is as a Christian, and that is to get to know God better and become more like him. And they're not out and outright evil. They're just there to get you to be distracted just a little bit, just to enjoy a little bit. I had a pastor friend. I have a pastor friend that many years ago told me his problem is during the summertime, literally, his congregation tells him, bye-bye, see you in the, summer, in the fall, because they have boats, and they're, they, I need to be on the boat for the summer. And they literally take the summer months off because they're on the boat. He has to cancel, he has his choir, he has to cancel choir because more than half the choir have boats. And so they decide, hey, God understands, we're not under rules and regulations, so Taking the summer off is not the end of the world. No, it's not necessarily. But it speaks to the fact that our priorities have shifted. Our priority is not getting to know God more. It's about, I want to enjoy this life, you see. And that's the subtle thing about that because it sounds so innocent or, or it's not like, hey, I'm not like going out and doing drugs. No, you're not. But you're being distracted. And when we're being distracted, then our spiritual journey slows down or sometimes it comes to a halt. And when that happens, we start to lose the war for our souls. Now, getting back to our psalm, this psalm to me speaks to how you and I can be successful in our pilgrimage, in navigating all of these pitfalls and traps uh, in our spiritual journey. So let me begin and declare this. In our spiritual journey, if we're going to be successful at it, it's crucial that you and I trust in the Lord. Everybody say that with me. Trust in the Lord. Now, you'll see it coming up on the screen. By definition, that word trust means to place one's hope and confidence in. 
In other words, we're placing our hope and our confidence in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord, who place their hope and their confidence in him. Let's look at verse 1. The Bible says, number one, listen, they are as secure as Mount Zion. That's my first thought. The first point that I want to stress is those who trust in the Lord, number one, are as secure as Mount Zion. Now, by secure, it means also that something that cannot be shaken. Uh, that uh, they will notice they will uh, not be defeated, but they will endure forever. Could you put verse one back up very quickly of Psalm 121? Let's put verse one back up real quickly so that we can take a look at that. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. Notice, they will not be defeated, but will endure forever. So in other words, those who place their hope and their confidence in God are as secure as Mount Zion. They won't succumb. They won't be defeated. What does that mean? They won't succumb to temptation. That temptation to be distracted. They won't be shaken. Their faith will be so strong that in the trials of life, in the spiritual warfare, their faith won't be shaken. Now, I think it's important that we look at why that happens. There is a very simple problem that occurs in most Christians' lives, and it's the transference of trust. The transference of trust is simply this. Rather than trusting in God, I begin to trust in someone else. You see. You and I need to recognize, the Bible exhorts us to trust in the Lord. The first thing you need to recognize is you can never, ever trust in yourself. How many have recognized that you do not have the power to live the life that God desires? None of us has, right? And there are times where we tell ourselves we can do this thing only to find out we really can't do this thing. To trust in the Lord says, I don't put myself in a place of temptation because then I'm going to get distracted and I might succumb. Let me give you a very practical example. Those who are dating, if you put yourself in a place where you are alone constantly, you tempt yourself into doing something you ought not to do. I have literally counseled a couple that were doing Bible study by themselves on the couch at home with nobody there. And at one point, they began praying for one another, and in their praying, they're massaging each other's shoulders. This is a true story. And from that, they began to make out. And from that, they had intercourse. And when they came to see me, they were so distraught, understandably so. But I said, you violated so many rules about avoiding temptation. You put yourself in a place. It's like you, you're jumping off a cliff and saying, God's going to hold me. We need to be careful, right? You can't put yourself, like when I used to struggle with drugs, and as a young Christian, I'm trying to break this drug habit, and, and I would, every time I would succumb, I would cry out to God. And then one day God rebuked me, and God said, you know what you're doing. 
Why? Because you're going to the bodega, and for those of you who don't know what a bodega is, that's a Spanish word for the corner of a grocery store that are in New York. You have them on every corner just about, right? And so there was this specific bodega where I used to buy drugs. So God said, why are you going to that bodega? You're not really going to buy food. You're going in there, and then all of a sudden the temptation is too strong, and you succumb and you buy drugs. Of all the bodegas in New York, why do you go to that one? And I realized I was the one putting myself in a place I would not to put myself. So what I'm talking about is those who trust in the Lord, like, my, like, my, uh, uh, like Mount Zion, they're, they're not shaken. Uh, their trust is not in themselves. Their trust is in the Lord. Listen, their trust is in, not in others. Please don't ever put your trust in this pastor. I'm a human being with a lot of faults, probably more faults than you, and I ultimately will fail you. Every pastor will fail you. Every church at one point will fail you. See, there's the transference that takes place that people think the pastor's the one that's got to do this work. The pastor's going to do it. That's why they don't want anybody else to pray. Only the pastor can pray for me. There are people in this church that are, have much more powerful prayer life than I do. That you would be far better off going to them to pray than the pastor. But people think, see, there's the transference of trust. I only trust the pastor to pray for me. I only trust my church as if God can't speak in any other church. You need to be careful about this transference of trust. You have, put, you have to put your trust only in the Lord because yourself, others, organizations, ultimately they at one point or another may fail you. And when that happens, all of a sudden now, your spiritual journey gets derailed because you start blaming God for the failures of a human being. You see, And it was all because you put your trust where it shouldn't have been. You have to trust in the Lord. Why? Because the Lord will never let you down. I may let you down. This church may let you down. But the Lord will never let you down. Come on, look at your name and tell them that. The Lord will never let you down. He'll never let you down. So number one, those who put their trust in the Lord are secure as Mount Zion. Number two... They are surrounded, the Bible says, by God. In, in verse 2, just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Jerusalem, there's that, that picture. Jerusalem was, is literally surrounded by mountains. And the psalmist was using this uh, picture, uh, this physical picture of Jerusalem to talk about and ascribe it to how God is with his people where the, as Jerusalem is surrounded by the mountains, God surrounds, he encircles those who trust in the Lord. Now listen to this song, how God surrounds us. In, in Psalm 121, I look to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. 
The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps watch, keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and as you go, both now and forever. The Lord keeps watch over us. The Lord surrounds his people. Listen to another great uh, verse. It's going to be coming up on the screen in a moment from 2 Kings. Let me set this story up here. Elisha, who was the prophet, had a servant named Gehazi. And in the morning, as Gehazi wakes up, he sees that they are surrounded by a vast army of the enemy who is coming to kill the man who keeps telling the king of Israel what's going on with this enemy so that they, Elisha said, kept telling him, hey, they're going to be here. Don't go there. Hey, they're going to do this, do that. And so the king that was against Israel said, who is doing this? Who's giving our plans to the, the king of Israel? And the guy said, there's a guy there named Elisha. And so the king sent an army to capture Elijah. Gehazi gets up and he says, oh, my God, we is going to be dead right now, God. And so Elisha uh, uh, tells that to, his, uh, to Elijah. Excuse me, Gehazi tells that to Elijah. And listen to Elijah's response. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now, the young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for they are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. In other words, all of a sudden now, uh, Gehazi is all, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Elisha, see, he's originally from New York, so he's like, chill, buddy. You got to chill. You understand what I'm saying? This ain't nothing. And then he prayed, God, you, you got to open his eyes. And all of a sudden, God opened up Gehazi's eyes, and he sees this incredible army of angels. Surrounding Elisha. And he told them, they are more for us than against us. In other words, what might seem overwhelming physically is no match for the power of God. Listen, there are times where physically we are facing in this warfare hardships, difficulties, and we're wondering, like Gehazi, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? What is going to happen? And the Lord is saying, don't you understand? I'm surrounding you. The way the mountains surround Jerusalem, so I'm surrounding you. In other words, the enemy can't get to you unless he gets by me. I want you to know there are more for you than there are against you. And that this powerful God that we serve, no matter what we see physically, no matter how overwhelming it may seem, it is no match for the power of God. 
Those who trust in the Lord. Number one, are secure as Mount Zion. Number two, are surrounded by God. And number three, those who trust in the Lord live victoriously. Listen to what the Bible says. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly. Now, this doesn't mean that you and I are never going to face hardships. We're never going to face attack, spiritual attacks, difficulties. You know, there's a false thing in Christianity or because God surrounds us that it's never, we're never going to be attacked. The devil can't attack us. Well, he can't attack us unless God gives the approval. But what happens when God gives the approval? I know that that's not a popular thing to say in church. That most people don't want to hear that. But there are times, remember the book of Job, it's all about the fact that God gave the devil approval to attack Job. There are times that God wants to do something in our life, that God wants to demonstrate how powerful he truly is in our life, that God wants to grow us in our knowledge of him and our experience. So God allowed the enemy to attack. But what this verse is saying, that the wicked will not rule the land of the godly, simply means that God has set a limit to what our adversary can do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. One more verse. Uh, no, let me just pause there for a second before we go to the next verse. So in other words, what is this Bible verse teaching us? It teaches us that there's no such thing as you and I saying, I couldn't help myself. In other words, when we are tempted, when I open up a drawer at home and find Yvonne's stash of Oreo cookies, the temptation is for, you, for me to say, this is mine. This, this is going to taste real good. That's the temptation, to take what doesn't belong to me. And there's no way that I can stand before God and say, oh, God, I couldn't help myself. Because God always provides a way of escape. What's that way of escape? All of a sudden, to my mind, will come the broccoli that Yvonne has in the kitchen. They say, you could eat that. And I'm like, I don't want the broccoli. Broccoli Oreos, broccoli Oreos. I'm exaggerating, but I'm stressing that to prove a point. How no matter what temptation we face, God always provides a way out. The Lord will always speak to us as we trust in him. He will always show us what to do, where to go, where not to go. So that we will not give it, fall prey to that temptation. Now, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 3, here's some verses most of us know quite well. The Bible says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Can we say that out loud? Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will, here's the promise, he will show you which path to take. Trust in the Lord. In other words, don't depend on yourself. Don't think about the fact that you know what to do and you know how to do you got to pray, ask God, Lord, what should I do in this moment? 
what, what is the path that we're to take? And the Bible gives us the promise that God will show us which way to take. No matter whether it's temptation, no matter whether it's a trial, a hardship, a difficulty, no matter what we're dealing with at home, on the job, in the neighborhood, if we would go to God and say, God, I'm not sure which way to go here. I don't want to trust in, in my own intellect. Show me the way. I trust in you. I don't trust in myself. And now that promise kicks in. Well, God will always show us the path to take. He will always make a way of escape. That's why those who trust in the Lord will live victoriously. Worship team, if you would come quickly, please. Let's put those three points back up on the last one. Three points. Those who trust in the Lord are secure as Mount Zion, are surrounded by God. They live victoriously. Now this is the prayer and how we're going to pray. In verse 4, all of a sudden, the psalmist goes from these declarations to actually praying. And the prayer is, oh God, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with you. This is the prayer of the psalmist. That as we are on this pilgrimage together, this spiritual journey to grow in our relationship with God so that we can become more like his son Jesus Christ here in this life. If we're going to successfully navigate this journey through temptations and hardships, all these kind of things that come our way because we're in this spiritual warfare as well, then we need to trust in the Lord. Put our, all our hope and our confidence in the Lord. And when we do that, then our hearts are in tune with God. And then God will do good to us. He will bless us. Listen to final verse as I ask you to all stand with me. Final verse as we stand. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 23. This is God speaking to his people. Those who trust in me will never be put to shame. We'll, other translations say, we'll never be disappointed. God is incapable of failing those who trust in him. And my encouragement to all of us through God's word today is don't trust in me. Don't trust in an organization, a church, or a group of people. Trust in the Lord. For God will always help you to successfully navigate life so that you'll never be distracted and get yourself veered off course to the measure that your spiritual journey is now halted because you find yourself in a place of great pleasure in this life. Pastor Jason, would you help us as we would pray to close? Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Reminding all of us that we need to put our trust in you all of our hope, all of our confidence. Because when we do, then our lives will be as secure as Mount Zion. We won't be tossed here and there by all these distractions that are designed to get us off our course, oh God, in in this pilgrimage that we are all on. When we trust in you, we'll recognize that you are the one that will surround us, oh God. 
Your hand of protection will be upon us, oh God. Your blessings will be upon our life, Lord. When we trust in you, oh God, we'll live victoriously. I thank you that the wicked shall not rule the land of the godly. But we want to be godly, God. And in order to do that, we need to trust in you. And I thank you that you have given the promise that those who trust in you shall not be put to shame, they shall not be disappointed. And we thank you for that. I pray for your grace today to start a freshening in you, even from this hour forward, to live our lives in such a way that we are putting our trust in the Lord. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on, let's thank God. Amen. Now I need to do one more thing. In spite of her foolishness, I want to take a love offering for Melissa. Melissa, I'm going to ask you to go right to your table outside, if you will, please. Uh, this is a free love offering. Make that out to the church, and we're going to wind up giving her one check and sending it to her account. Uh, this is going to help her on this journey to fulfill God's purpose for her life to reach college students with the gospel. So if you believe and, and, and want to partner in that, this is what this love offering is all about. Gracious Father, I want to thank you once again for all the work you're doing in Melissa's heart and life. God, I thank you for the call that you have on her life, the purpose that she is living out. God, I pray uh, that even now we can partner with her, oh God, not financially and prayerfully, so that we can send off this one that you have given to us. She was birthed here, oh God, in this church. And now she's come to that place where we have been called by you to send her out, Lord, to fulfill the, your purpose. Bless this offering, I pray in Jesus' name.